You are listening to the Akron Abide Bible Study Podcast. For more information, check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Akron Abide. Question number one. Do you ever find yourself tossing and turning at night, plagued by negative thoughts and regrets? Question number two. Are you always looking towards the future, convinced that you deserve more than you have now? Question number three. Do you ever complain to your loved ones or vent your frustrations on social media? Question number four. You can answer to yourself. Question number four. <laughs> um, uh, people are going to be praying for my grandma after this. Like, oh, Lord, help her. Uh, question number four. Do you ever find yourself feeling a bit jealous of others? Question number five. Are you quick to judge and criticize others without understanding their motives? And then question number six, do you feel your impatience rise when you're stuck in traffic? Yes or no? Well, if you answered yes to any of those questions, then you're going to want to turn with me to Philippians chapter four. Because in Philippians chapter four, we find the Apostle Paul giving us the secret to contentment. The secret to contentment right here in Philippians chapter number four and verses 10 through 13. Let's read those verses now. The Bible says, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. You know, the book of Philippians really stands out in contrast to the society that we live in today. Because we live in a society that is permeated with a spirit of discontentment, right? The theme of our society would be the grass is always greener on the other side. It's not fair. I can't get no satisfaction. Or maybe you heard this slogan before, it's my money and I need it now. Our world is filled with discontentment. And yet the apostle Paul writes about a spirit of contentment in this passage. Paul says in verse 11, I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Now that's really saying something coming from the apostle Paul because at this time, Paul is going through some terrible circumstances. As he's writing this letter, he is going through some trials. Remember now, Paul is on house arrest in Rome currently, chained to a Roman guard night and day for preaching the gospel. He's about to go to trial before Nero. He doesn't know if he's going to die or if he's going to live. But despite all that, the Apostle Paul is content. The Apostle Paul has joy. The Apostle Paul has peace. No matter the situation, no matter the circumstance, we find the Apostle Paul having this spirit of contentment. And that is so much different from our society today. Our world struggles with finding contentment. But if I'm being completely honest this morning, discontentment is not just the attitude that most of the world has. No, it's an attitude that I have. I struggle with finding contentment. It's easy for me to become discontent. And if I'm being completely transparent this morning, I probably struggle with it every single day. 
every single day I struggle with discontentment. And sadly, it hinders my relationship with God. It hinders my relationship with others. And it even robs me of my joy and peace. And I don't know about you, but whenever I, I read passages like this, I can almost get frustrated. I can get really down on myself because I'm blessed. I am the most blessed man on the face of the earth, and, and yet I'm discontent. But we find Paul burdened and yet content. And whenever I read passages like that, it boggles my mind. How is Paul able to handle the situation the way that he did? How was Paul able to be content in a time like this? What was Paul's secret? Those are the questions that kind of roll through my mind when I'm studying these scriptures. And if we keep on reading, we see some good news. You see, the Apostle Paul actually answers that question. We find out Paul's secret to contentment if we keep on reading. Look at verse number 12. This is really cool. He says, I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Now, it's interesting. That word instructed in verse number 12 literally means initiated into the secret. That's the definition in the Greek, initiated into the secret. And this word was actually used by the pagan religions in that day in reference to their inner secrets. So Paul is essentially saying in verse 12, for all the trials and all the testings that I've been through, I have learned this wonderful secret. I have learned to be content. And that's what we're going to deal with today. That's what we're going to look at. We are going to look at the secret to Christian contentment. And in Philippians chapter 4 and verses 10 through 13, I love how the Apostle Paul does this. He lays down three principles on how we can live with contentment in our life. Three ways to obtaining the secret to Christian contentment. And we'll just get right into the first principle today. The first principle is this. If we want to be content, we must, number one, learn to appreciate people, but depend on God. We must appreciate people, but we must also depend on God. And this is what the Apostle Paul learned to do here. Look at how he begins in verse 10. He says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Now, once we get to this portion of Scripture, we find the Apostle Paul almost giving a thank you note to the Philippian believers. He's thanking them for their financial support to help them in their ministry. And to fully understand this verse, we need to look at the backstory of the book of Philippians. Remember now, around 10 years ago, the Apostle Paul went to Philippi and established this local church. He became the pastor of this church. He cared for this church. He discipled these people. And then after a little while, he moved on to the next community. He moved on with his church planning ministry. And, and as he moved on, the Philippian believers still decided to support him. And so he traveled, he went to Athens, he went to Corinth, just doing his church planning ministry. And you know why that's doing that? Is it my mic? All right. Um, doing his church planning ministry. And then out of nowhere, the support just stopped. For whatever reason, we don't know why, but he just stopped getting support from the Philippian believers. We don't know if it's because they ran out of money. We don't know if it's because they didn't know where the Apostle Paul was. All we know is the support stops out of nowhere. 
Now, fast forward 10 years, and we find the Apostle Paul in prison on house arrest for preaching the gospel. And all of a sudden, this church starts to support the Apostle Paul again. They sent Epaphroditus to travel over 800 miles to Rome to help Paul in his ministry. And they also brought a financial gift to help the Apostle Paul in his ministry. And that's the context and really the background of the book of Philippians. He's writing this thank you note to the church at Philippi to thank them for what they've done. And that's why he says in verse 10, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again. In other words, Paul is saying there, man, it's so nice to have your help again. It's so nice to have your support again. It is such a blessing to, to be able to have your support once again. That's, that's really what he's saying. He's expressing his appreciation. But notice what he says in verse 11. He says, not that I speak in respect of one, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. So Paul says, hey, I want you to know this gift is awesome. This gift is great. It helps so much, but I don't want you to feel bad for not supporting me these last few years. I want you to know that even though you weren't supporting me, God was taking care of my needs. God was helping me along the way. And I have learned to be content no matter what happens. And I think that's really cool. And in that verse, we see our first point, appreciation for people and dependence upon God. You look at verse 10 and, and we see appreciation for the church at Philippi. He says, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. But then in verse 11, we see dependence upon God. He says, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned to be content. Paul learned to appreciate people, but depend on God to meet his needs. And I just got to say, this is one of the main secrets to contentment. We are to appreciate people, yes, but depend on God. And this is super important to grasp because we normally get that backward, right? We have the tendency to flip that around. We appreciate God, but we depend on people. We're thankful for God. We love God. God, you're awesome. God, you're great. Thank you. But when it comes to meeting our needs, we go to people to meet them. We go to our spouse. You meet my needs. We go to our friends. Hey, I need you to meet my emotional needs. We go to our coworkers. I need you to meet my needs. We go to people for need. But, but I want you to know this morning, that's really not the way it should be. No, this approach can lead to disappointment and unmet expectations because people are going to let you down. People are going to fail you. For instance, can you imagine if the Apostle Paul relied on the Philippians to meet his needs? He would have been let down. He got support for a while, but then all of a sudden it stopped out of nowhere. If he was relying on the church at Philippi, he would have been let down. He would have been brought low. He wouldn't have known what to do for years. But because he relied on God, he was able to press on. He was able to move forward. He was content. And the same thing goes for us guys. Depending on God leads to contentment. Because I want you to know this morning, God has promised to meet our needs. God has promised to meet all of our needs. Just a couple verses later in this context, in Philippians chapter four, that's what we see. In verse 19, the Bible says, but my God shall supply all of your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. You see, it's God who meets our needs, not people. He meets our emotional needs. He meets our physical needs. He meets our spiritual needs. It is God Almighty who meets our needs. Now, he might use people to help accomplish his will, 
and meet our needs, but it's God ultimately who does so. And this is so important for us to grasp, guys, because one of the main reasons for discontentment in today's society is that we depend on others to fulfill the needs that only God can satisfy. We depend on others to fulfill the needs that only God can satisfy. And the result of this is discontentment, and it is disaster. You know, I, I would be scared to know this morning the number of marriages that have failed because the spouses were trying to find their happiness in each other rather than the Lord. Or, or how many churches have split because the members relied on the pastor alone for spiritual nourishment and not the Lord. Or the number of people who have gone from relationship to relationship looking for love rather than resting in the unconditional love of Jesus. The result is discontentment and disaster. God uses people, but it's God ultimately who meets our needs, and we are to depend on God and find our contentment in God. But understand this now. We're also supposed to appreciate people, right? We are to appreciate people, but depend on God. And you'll soon find out both are connected to contentment. You need both to truly be content in the Christian life. You see, the only way to truly appreciate someone is by depending upon God. And we see that in application in verse number 10. Look at verse 10 again. He says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again. All right, so get this. Because Paul depended on God to meet his needs and not the Philippians, when this gift finally arrived, and he was so happy, he was so thankful because this took place. Paul's reaction was filled with appreciation for this church, but what if he relied on the Philippians for his needs instead of depending upon God? What do you think would have happened? His reaction would have been so much different, right? Let's imagine that for a quick second, all right? If he was relying on the Philippians to meet his needs and not God, he would have been harboring some negative thoughts, right? Before receiving his gift, he might have harbored thoughts like, after all I've done for them, after all that I've done for them, I started this church, I, I led them to the Lord, and, and this is the thanks that I get. I don't hear from them. I don't get support from them anymore. They don't care about poor, decrepit old Paul anymore. Those are some thoughts that he could have had. Right? And then after he received the gift, he might have been tapping his foot like it's about time. Do you realize what I've gone through? Do you realize the negative things that I've went through during this time waiting for this gift? Oh, oh now that I'm in prison, now you're going to take care of me? Now you're going to save the day? You want me to pat you on the back for this? He could have reacted in many ways. And understand this now. If it was the Philippians' job to meet his needs, he may have had a right to feel that way. But it wasn't the Philippians' job. No, it was God's job. And so therefore, what did Paul do? Paul relied on God to meet his needs. And as a result, his response was that of appreciation. He said in verse 10, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. So instead of thoughts of bitterness, it was thoughts of blessing. Paul's reaction, Paul's thoughts were, were awesome, right? When he received that gift, he rejoiced. He thought to himself, man, what a surprise. This is great, man. This, this church really does care about me. Oh, I love that church so much. I care for that church so much. His reaction was a positive because he wasn't expecting them to meet his needs. You see, depending upon God 
leads to an appreciation for people. And can I just say, some of you are, are hanging on to bitterness towards your spouse, towards a coworker, a friend of yours, because you're depending on them instead of depending upon God. And in doing so, you've stopped appreciating them because they're not God. They're not going to meet your needs like God. They're going to let you down, right? But they care for you. They love you. They are there for you, and they deserve appreciation. So, so ask yourself that today. Am I depending on my spouse, or am I depending upon God in my marriage? Because when we depend upon God, what happens is we start to realize just how appreciative and just how good we have it in our life, right? Depend on God, appreciate people. That's number one. But then number two, we must learn to enjoy blessings, but expect difficulty. And, and I want you to know this morning, the Christian life is not a cakewalk. No, the Christian life is difficult. The Christian life is hard because life is difficult. And no matter who you are, you are going to face trials. You are going to face difficulties. You are going to face tragedies. But understand this now. Here's the good news. For the Christian, we have something to help us get through those difficulties. And that's the presence of Almighty God. The presence of God to help us along the way when we're going through issues, when we're going through trials. We have the peace of God and we have the presence of God to get us to keep on going. One author put it this way. He said, the Christian life is not the absence of problems, but the presence of God in the midst of our problems. And I would agree with that. That's the way to contentment. And this is crucial for the Christian to comprehend. Because in our culture today, we tend to think everything is supposed to go our way, right? Everything is just going to go smoothly and, and everything is just going to go awesome for us. And, and when it doesn't, we feel like we've been victimized. How dare this happen to me, right? And this mindset leads to discontentment. It leads to stress. It leads to worry. All those things that are found here in Philippians chapter 4. And it leads to a negative outlook on life. I know a lot of people that are living in that way, living with a negative outlook on life because of their discontentment. But if we learn to find our contentment in the Lord, man, we won't need a particular set of circumstances to make us content. No, we will be able to be content no matter what happens. And, and that's what we find the Apostle Paul saying here in verse number 12. This is so cool. Look at what he says. He says, I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Now, in that one verse right there, Paul gives three different scenarios. And in each scenario, he gives two extreme circumstances. But both of those circumstances lead to contentment in Paul's life. That's what we see here. Look what he says. He says, I know how to be content in times of abasements and in times of abounding in times of hunger and in times of fullness, in times of suffering and in times of abundance. And then he says, everywhere and in all things. What do we see there? Paul is giving experiences that are polar opposites of each other, right? They are at either end of the spectrum of life, suffering and splendor, poverty and prosperity. But there's a reason why he's doing this. You see, by doing this, Paul is putting his arms around the entirety of human experience. And the point that Paul is making here in verse 12 is that no matter what your circumstances are, no matter what cards you've been dealt, 
you can be content because you know Jesus Christ as your Savior. You've got the Lord and your life. And, and remember this now, Paul is saying this by experience. No, you look at that word learned in verse 11, I have learned and whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. That word learned in the Greek literally means learned by experience. And so therefore, Paul experienced everything mentioned in verse number 12. He says, I know both how to be abased and how to abound. I've experienced it. The burdens and the blessings, I've gone through it and I've learned to be content because of it. Dr. Stephen Lawson put it this way. He said, Paul learned contentment by enrolling in the school of hard knocks. And I would agree with that. He went through some difficulties. He went through some trials. But to add to Paul's resume, he also attended the Academy of Grace and Favor. Because he says, I know both how to be abased and about. He learned contentment, not just in, in the bad things of life, but in the good things of life. He learned to be content no matter what. He learned to be content by both blessings and difficulties. His classroom was a furnace of affliction and a garden of comforts. It was a mountain of prosperity and a valley of persecution. And it was in the depths of despair and in the heights of delights that Paul learns to be content. And if you read the book of Acts and you look at Paul's life, that's really what you see. All throughout the life of the Apostle Paul, you see something similar to the same thing that we go through in life. You see blessings, you see difficulty, you see the providence of God in it all, but then you see contentment. Think about it for a second. Paul learned to be content in the opposition he faced in Antioch, but also in the salvation of the Gentiles that resulted thereafter. He learned to be content in the stoning at Lystra. He was stoned and left for dead, but also in the miraculous healing of a crippled man that took place in that same town. He learned to be content in the uproar at Thessalonica, but also in the vibrant Christian community that was established because of that. He learned to be content in the blasphemies that took place in Corinth, but also in the close relationship that was formed between him and Aquila and Priscilla while he was in Corinth. He learned to be content with the plots against his life in Jerusalem, but also in witnessing the thousands who came to Jesus Christ and embraced Christianity. He learned to be content during the shipwrecks in the Mediterranean, but also in the miracle of God's providence that occurred thereafter. He learned to be content in the beatings in Philippi, but also in the founding and pastoring of his favorite church. And he learned to be content in prison, chained to a Roman guard night and day, but also in the spread of the gospel that resulted because of his chains. All throughout Paul's life, what do we see? We find Paul enjoying blessing, expecting difficulty, and because of that, he was content. And basically, to summarize my point, when we look at Paul's life, we see a thermostat Christian. That's a good example, a thermostat Christian. He wasn't a thermometer, he was a thermostat. You can say, Michael, what on earth does that mean? What does that mean? Well, a thermometer doesn't change anything around it, it just registers the temperature. It goes up and down based on its surroundings. But a thermostat regulates the surroundings and changes them when they need to be changed. The Apostle Paul was a thermostat. And instead of having spiritual ups and downs as situations changed, he went right on, steadily doing his work and serving Jesus Christ. No matter what came his way, his outlook was to God be the glory. 
His outlook was, God can work all things together for good. His outlook was, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. And so let me ask you today, are you a thermometer Christian or are you a thermostat Christian? Are you a roller coaster Christian? You just are up one day, down the next, based on your circumstances around you? Or can you regulate your life no matter the circumstance? Paul was a thermostat Christian. That's what we need to be. We need to learn to enjoy blessings, but expect difficulty. We're all going to go through hard times. All right? So what do we do? Number one, we must learn to appreciate people, but depend upon God. We must learn to enjoy blessings, but expect difficulty. And then number three, and I'll wrap up. We must learn to trust God's promises, not our circumstances. Trust God's promises, not our circumstances. You see, the only way we will be able to learn to be content in all things is by trusting in the almighty promises of God. And in verse number 13, we find one of the greatest promises of all time. Look at what he says there. He says, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. Man, what a verse. What an incredible promise there. And this very well could be the most well-known verse of all time. But would it surprise you to know that this verse is actually referring to contentment? Did you know that? This is the context of this verse. One of the most powerful verses of all time was written in the context of being content no matter what. And that's incredible to think about, right? We love this verse. We love to claim this verse and be like, man, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. I can go on for God. I can accomplish this and this and this and this. And Paul says, hey, I can be content in all things. That's the power of this verse. And that's the power of the Christian life to be content no matter what comes your way. The good things, the bad things, I have learned to be content. And that's what Paul said. I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. And do you realize the magnitude of God's greatness in this sentence? These simple words explode into small intakes of truth. And there is so much doctrine filled into these 10 simple words. It's a promise that we can cling to. And this promise is so unbelievably profound that you can see a different viewpoint of this promise depending on how you read it. We find out that this promise is a personal promise. He says, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. What does Paul say? I can do all things. I can be content in all things through Jesus Christ. And when we look at this verse as a promise, you want to know what it gives us? It gives us hope. It gives us hope to keep on going. It gave Paul hope to handle whatever came his way. Even though he may die, even though his situation might not look good, he has hope because he can do all things through Christ. He can endure all things through Christ. He can handle all things through Christ. God promises us here that we can. You want to know what that means? That means no more feeling inadequate. No more feeling unworthy. No more feeling overwhelmed. No more feeling discontent. We can do all things through Christ. God's everlasting promise is that we are capable. It's a personal promise, but it's also a powerful promise. He says, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. So in other words, this power to be content comes from Jesus Christ and him alone. It isn't my power, it's the power of Christ working through me. And, and we know this, we cover this a lot, Ephesians 1.19, the Bible says, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power 
to us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. That word power used there is the Greek word dunamis. It's where we get our English word dynamite from. We've got dynamite power in our life, the power of the resurrection, resurrection power. That's what you and I have. And that power enables us to be content. I love this Colossians 1.11. We see the same thing. The Bible says, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and long-suffering with joyfulness. Let me ask you, patience, long-suffering, joyfulness, if you combine those together, what does that equal? Contentment. God's power makes us content. It's a personal promise. It's a powerful promise. And then number three, it is a permanent promise. He ends by saying, which strengtheneth me. I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. And what do we see there? We see that this promise is not temporary. No, the word strengthens used there is in the present participle, meaning that this strength is given continually to the believer. God is saying in this verse right here, I will continually endue you with strength. I will continually give you fresh strength every day. It is a promise for yesterday. It is a promise for today. And it is a promise for all of eternity. We don't have to worry about the strength or power of Jesus Christ running out of our life. We can be content no matter what. And we always have this promise in our life to empower us. I love this. Isaiah 40 and 31, the Bible says, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary and they shall walk and not faint. Hey, we all grow weary from time to time. We all grow weak. We all become discouraged. And there's going to be times where we're discontent, right? Yet God's promise remains true and waits to be claimed. His power is eternal and will never fail. And understand this now. There are going to be times when we grow weary. There are going to be times where we are discontent and, and we feel like we can't go on anymore. We feel like we can't keep doing what we're doing. We feel like waving the white flag, but understand that whether or not we want to wave the white flag, whether or not we are weary and we want to throw in the towel, God's promise remains. It's kind of like this. You're going through a hard time. You're going through difficulties and you feel like giving up. You're discontent. You're low. You wave that white flag, but the promise is still there. You go through a hard time and, and you say, I can't go on anymore. I'm waving the white flag. The promise is still there. The promise is still there. We can do all things through Christ, which strengthened me. No matter what we do, we can always claim that promise. We can do all things through Christ, which strengthens us.